Hello, I'm Jean Lézy. I'm not Gerhard Berger. And you are listening Behind the Grid. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to your favorite podcast, Beyond the Grid, presented by Bose QuietComfort 35-2 wireless headphones. Now, when you think of 90s Formula One, who or what springs to mind? I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that for me, my guest this week is near the very top of the list. Who is it? We'll start by thinking about screaming Ferrari V12s, add in some Sicilian roots and a trademark 10-2 grip on the steering wheel, head tilted while cornering. Have you guessed yet? It is, of course, the great Jean Alesi. Jean was, in many ways, the perfect Ferrari driver. He was passionate, fast, and loved by Ferrari fans the world over, not only for his speed, but for the way he wore his heart on his sleeve. He also carried the number 27 on his car, mirroring Ferrari legend Gilles Villeneuve. In many ways, Jean was the 90s equivalent of Gilles. And don't be misled by the fact that he won only one race. In Canada, 1995, Alesi was brilliantly fast on his day, and he had many stellar performances ruined by misfortune. Jean is a regular in the paddock these days, now that his son Giuliano is racing in Formula 2. We hooked up at the recent Spanish Grand Prix to talk about all things Alesi, and I think you'll be surprised and delighted by some of his revelations. Well, Jean, welcome to Be On The Grid. It's fabulous to have you with us. And um, when I look at you just sitting opposite me now, I think of you epitomized 90s Formula One because you were fast, you were passionate, you were fun. Just how do you reflect on it all now? So first of all, I, uh, I have to say I've been uh, very lucky to race uh, at this time of uh, motorsport. Because uh, for the drivers, uh, it was a dream time. We had um, a lot of freedom. And uh, freedom means, uh, especially when you have a passion of uh, what you're doing, it's uh, doing what you want. And to have the link with the public, uh, I will take as an example, uh, when I was driving for Ferrari, we were testing in uh, uh, Imola. But... Every day before the end of the checking flag of the testing, we had to stop on the finish line and to make a donuts and to come back to the pits. That was a duty. If you had, uh, if you miss this uh, donuts and this uh, uh, bye bye to the public, you will be uh, very. Uh, the public was uh, very upset. So I had to do it, and uh, I enjoy so much. And that means a lot. And it's a picture of the nineties. Fun, public, driving. It was all of those things. And you were, you had such an iconic style. I mean, Jean, you just look at your hand position on the steering wheel. The moment you saw those hands as an observer, it was you and the tilting of the head. And We, uh, um, talking always of this uh, freedom, the engineers also had the freedom because uh, we were driving uh, V12, V10, V8 cars. So the uh, architecture, architecture of the cars was different. And uh, sometimes the engineer was saying, ah, by the way, there is a driver inside, so we have to see how we fit in. And uh, I had a moment in, uh, in Ferrari when the car was designed and uh, the steering wheel was too low. Uh, and obviously at the time, no power steering. 
and they didn't have the power to turn the steering wheel. So I found this uh, position on the steering wheel who was uh, suitable for my uh, speed and power to turn and c to control the car. So you didn't have your hands in that position in the junior formulas in Formula 3, Formula 3000? No. Plus, when I go up uh, through the year, in um, in 2000, the, the steering wheel start to be uh, like now with all the button. And uh, we had... Uh, this square steering wheel, so no chance to put the end on the top. So I had to hold my uh, my ends uh, left and right, you know, and uh, that was uh, not a problem at all. But it was the the monocoque was a bit higher. Uh, we start to have more volume inside of the the chassis because also when uh, uh, the chassis was so narrow, the elbow inside. Uh, was painful, you know, to have the elbow inside and to turn the steering wheel. It was not easy. How fantastic. So you could adapt. It wasn't, a, this is the only way I can drive the no, car. No, no, I was, yeah. uh, uh, my, uh, my feeling was really uh, the spin of the rear wheels that I need to have it always, my car alive. So that gave me the feedback of the car. So, but the position of the steering wheel, I should be also able to drive with one hand at a time. But Jean, to hear you talk about, you know, you need to have the rear alive and you had the number 27 and, and the whole, the comparisons with Gilles Villeneuve were there to be made, weren't they? Yeah, but you know, um, when you are a Formula One driver, it's difficult to say uh, we are modest, but we always very modest. Uh, and I think it's a key of the success. If you see now Lewis Hamilton, um, he's for sure... Uh, the best driver right now, but he's not embarrassed. But when you talk about Ayrton Senna, for him, it's a, a, a hero. For me, it's the same. When I was driving, I had many heroes. And um, some of them was actually racing with me, like Ayrton, Alain Prost, or Nelson Piquet. And I had a lot of respect and enjoyment to fight and race with them. But... I have a, a dream drivers like Gilles uh, Villeneuve, who I never raced with him, but he gave my, the inspiration ex to me to be a racing car driver. Gilles Villeneuve. Yeah. He was the inspiration. How fantastic. But, but Jean, why, why was it Formula One for you? Because your dad was a, was a rally driver. You started out in, was it Renault 5? Yeah, Renault 5. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, um, it was so, such a unreachable uh, category, the Formula One. For me, I didn't think even once to be one day racing in Formula One. But I was choosing the, the categories, uh, link of the prize money to continue to race. Because my father, uh, still now we have the, the body, the carrosserie, the body shop. But, we didn't have a budget, so uh, the only things he was able to do is to give me a, a room in the garage and uh, to buy the base car I, I used. Uh, I have to race. So when I was 18, I started with a Renault 5, Cup Renault 5, and then Formula Renault, because the prize money was uh, able to give you some uh, a fresh um, 
uh, money to continue from one race to the, to the other one. But then slowly going up uh, in the categories, I start to have a success. So I found a little sponsorship. Uh, at the time we had um, the law who gave us uh, with uh, the cigarettes, the tabac uh, industry to have uh, easy uh, money. So uh, Marlboro, then Camel, and then back to Marlboro who gave me uh, the chance to be uh, able to uh, to go up and then to win the Formula 3, then to win the Formula 3000, and um, finally to reach Formula 1. How were relations with Eric Comas when you were coming up together? Because you kept beating him, didn't you? In F3, you yeah. beat him, and then in F3000, he finished second again. Yeah, e Eric Comas was, um, uh, you know, in each country... Um, you had the south and the north and um, the north doesn't like the south the south is always at the the place where you don't take the, in um, uh, the people really serious because you you imagine especially in france or in italy in south it's uh, the summer uh, all the time you go to the beaches you drink pastis i mean it is not very uh, you're not take, taken by French people so seriously. And I was from the south, so and Eric from the north. I had so much good time to beat him all the time. So I, um, I had a very um, good um, and respect uh, uh, racing with him. But I was uh, so happy to beat him because I'm, I was from the south and he was from the north. And of course, in 3000, you beat him while driving for Eddie Jordan. And just tell us about what it was like to be with Eddie back in those days. Well, Eddie at the time was, uh, I, didn't, I, I don't know if he changed, but he was completely crazy. And um, <laughs> He hasn't changed. Oh, great, great, because uh, I had such a good time with him and his family, because uh, I was not uh, speaking one word in English. And he took me to an Irish family with all the kids in the house. And for the first week, I was completely lost. But uh, he gave me so much uh, power to uh, continue my career and to help me to go in Formula One. But with Eddie, the funniest, the funniest uh, uh, story was when he signed me in Tyrell for one race. That, is, that was in July and um, uh, with Tyrell. Then I finished fourth. Jean, sorry, so he put the deal with Ken it's, it's Tyrell him. together. Yeah, Eddie put that deal together. Yeah, it's Eddie who put the deal with Ken Tyrell to race one Grand Prix. And um, he started to bet with Ken Tyrell, say, uh, you will see, he's uh, going to be faster than your top drivers. And I was, it was so embarrassing for me, you know, because I just wanted to, to be in Formula 1, that's it. But anyway, I finished fourth of the race. And, uh, and of course, I continue with Ken Tyrell the end of my, uh, my career, my, uh, the season. Plus, obviously, that was the beginning of my career. But I went to him and they say, okay, thank you, Eddie. You are fantastic. It's because of you. You are, I'm in Formula One. Good luck for Formula 3000. I said, what do you mean, good luck? I said, Eddie, I'm in 3000 because I want to reach Formula One. Now my contract is done. So thank you. And he said, no way, you win the championship. Otherwise, you will not drive the Formula 1 anymore. I said, okay. So I had to race one weekend Formula 3000. So one weekend the Formula 3000, one weekend the Formula 1. 
and I won the Formula uh, 3000 Championship one race ahead of the end. That uh, gave me the opportunity to race the, the end of the championship, Japan and uh, Australia. You think if you hadn't won it with one race to go, Eddie would have made you do the 3000 and not the... Uh... For sure, for <laughs> sure. But uh, I say really thank you to him because to have a title, it is nice. You know, uh, I won uh, only one Grand Prix in my life, uh, which is uh, definitely what uh, uh, I would like to be ch changed because uh, I lead a lot of races. I finish 17 times second, 33 times racing on a podium. So anyway, he, he, one way, one win is not is not what I uh, I was thinking, but uh, I know now. And uh, my record is a uh, champion of Formula 3000. I'm very appreciating. Can I ask you now about Ayrton Senna? Um, because as you rightly say, that first race, France 89, you came in, you finished fourth, but you actually ran as high as second in that race. Senna was very much the man at the time, wasn't he? How was he with you, the new young gun who's come in and was clearly had a big future in Formula One. At the time, nobody knew me, you know. Uh, and Ayrton uh, um, was uh, definitely, uh, I was not uh, a problem for him. And uh, I'm not sure he think about me because he was uh, uh, already like a cat and dog with uh, Alain at, uh, in McLaren at the time. But uh, it was nice for me to uh, to see, especially Nelson Piquet, the the, the next Grand Prix who came to me and say uh, in Italian, uh, Jean. But uh, I understand well you are coming by, uh, by yourself with your brother. He liked my story, you know, and uh, we we start to uh, to um, to uh, um, to have a good relationship. And actually, Nelson Piquet was fantastic with me from day one in Formula One. And um, uh, it's a story nobody knows, but it's him who uh, made the contract in between Ferrari and myself. And I have at home a Ferrari F40 because on the contract, he put Ferrari F40 as a, um, a gift from Ferrari. And I said to, to uh, Nelson, Nelson, I cannot give that to the president of Ferrari. He said, Shut up, give it, give that. And uh, now I have the F40 because of uh, Nelson who, who, who made the contract with me. <laughs> so, what a fabulous story. So he did the negotiations between you and the team? Yeah, because, you know, at the time... How did that come about? Nobody has a, a lawyer or a manager. We were just talking directly to the people, to the presidents, to the team owner like Frank Williams, like Ron Dennis, direct, you know. And, uh, you know, when you are coming from Avignon and uh, the year before you work with your father in a garage, it's very difficult to, to have on the front of you Frank Williams or uh, Montezemolo and to say, uh, I would like to have uh, this, this kind of money, this position in a team, a spare car in case of, and a present from you, from the factory. That is very tough. And... Uh, uh, Nelson had already uh, finished almost his career because we were talking about 1990. I was, as a friend, explaining 
who wants uh, who wanted to to have me in a team and he said okay let me do the contract for you and when he showed me the paper he said uh, Nelson I cannot give that to the to to my uh, to, to 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 the president of Ferrari, he will uh, he will uh, he will laugh and he will take somebody else. He said, "Give it to him." So I give it to him, and I remember the president read. He looked at me. He said, oh, "For a young uh, driver, you you know what to put." Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but now I uh, I thank him uh, a lot. <laughs> John, that was a really interesting time for you because tell me if I'm wrong, but I remember it being reported that you had potentially three options didn't you, for, for 1991? You had Tyrrell, I suppose. Yeah. You had Ferrari, was another option. That's where you ended up. But there was also Williams, is that right? Yeah, no, but it's a bit different in a scale. <laughs> I was uh, on uh, contract with Tyrrell. But in winter of 89-90, I signed an, uh, a contract, an option with uh, Williams. Okay, And this option was for 91, 2 and 3. And um, and uh, everything was fine for me. In this option was, if you, uh, if in, um, I mean, you have this contract for three years, but if in French Grand Prix we don't make the announcement to the public, it becomes an option until September for Williams. And when my lawyers saw this uh, contract, they say it's risky because if you sign that, then you are locked at them with um, with uh, Williams until September. And September can say no, I I take somebody else. So I went to see Frank and I asked him, Frank, why you put this uh, uh, three-year line? And say no, I need it because for Renault. I cannot decide, and I would like to make them decide by themselves. Say, okay, take Alizy, and I will have the contract. I said, okay. So I said that to my lawyer. My lawyer said, sign it. And I signed. We start the championship, and that was Phoenix. Amazing okay. race. For yeah. people who don't know what happened in Phoenix, what an amazing race by Yeah, you. it was an amazing race. Then, I, Jean, I need to stop you. Just remind people, you overtook Ayrton Senna for the lead of that race. Yeah, but for fun. <laughs> because I, I, I was flying away uh, at the beginning of the race, and that's why uh, the, freedom, the freedom of the engineers helped a lot, the drivers. I had a V8 engine, uh, 30 kilo less fuel than anybody else with a V10 or the V12. So at the beginning of the race, my, my car was very light, and I disappeared. But then when I saw uh, Ayrton coming... And said, okay, he will pass me, but I will give him a lot of, uh, a very hard time. And this is what I did. So he overshoot the braking and then I cross him, but I knew it was just for one lap. <laughs> what did he say to you after the race? No, he said, uh, and the tires was okay because at the time I was with Pirelli and uh, he was with uh, Goodyear. They had to stop. I made the whole race with the same set of tires. So he was shocked about the, the life of the tires. <laughs> but, he, he was just interesting about technique and uh, cars. He, he, he was not so friendly, huh? he, you know. Ayrton is a hero, yes, but he was not friendly with other uh, other drivers. 
Well, anyway, that was a race yeah. where Jean Alesi really arrived, didn't exactly. you? So, so back to the story. Sorry. So then, uh, when I came back, uh, Frank called me and said, Jean, all okay? He said, of course, all okay. I'm so exciting. And um, then it was Monaco. And in, again, in Monaco, I finished second behind Ayrton. So everything was going well, and it was very ex exciting. But when we arrived to the French Grand Prix, no announcement. I said to Nelson, I said, Nelson, I'm in trouble because in no announcement, now it's an option. And Nelson was a bit upset with me because he said, I told you not to sign because it was one of my advisors saying, don't sign. <laughs> anyway, I said, uh, okay, don't, uh, I will go to, to Frank. And so the, the following race was, uh, 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 was uh, Silverstone. And I went to the motorhome and said, Frank, please, sign the contract right now. And he said, no, I have a contract with you. I said, Frank, it's an option until September. So make the announcement because otherwise I have some other possibility. I say, I know it's Ferrari. I say, yes, it's Ferrari. Uh, I get upset with him. I said uh, bad words to him and I left. Then I, uh, the following night I had a, a an appointment with the president of Ferrari. They say, okay, if you give me the, the three years contract plus you take care of my uh, buyout to uh, Williams and Tyrell, I sign with you. They prepared the paper. The, the, in the morning, they gave me the paper. I went to Frank, Motorhome, and said, Frank, I sign or you sign. And then uh, I said, no, you, we have an option, blah, blah. I went out of the motorhome, I signed, I gave it to Ferrari. And then uh, that is end of the story with Williams. Wow. And that was a move that so defined your career in so many ways, wasn't it? Yeah, but... Um, Do you ever stop now and just think, God, if I'd been driving that Williams in 91, 92, 93... Okay. Uh, because it's my time, I can talk like that. Ayrton, uh, at the time, was uh, dreaming of the Williams. And he drove the Williams. You know how he went up. So, uh, it's nothing against the team, but the destiny, it is uh, everything for me. So, I'm not... Uh, uh, I don't regret anything. I, I don't blame anybody, but the destiny is like that. And uh, I had a very good uh, Formula One time. I raced for 201 Grand Prix. I thanks very much Williams for the interest they had at the time uh, for me. But we didn't make uh, happen and it's like that. And you were the perfect Ferrari driver as well. Let's not get away from that. Your relationship with the Tifosi, the, it was a... It was a wonderful marriage between you two. Um, talk about 91, um, teammate with Alain Prost. What did you learn from Alain? A lot. Uh, it's like, uh, not like uh, Charles Leclerc and, uh, and Vettel actually, because now the kids I see, they grew up in a team and they are beginners, but they are, uh, they are already professionals and they have uh, so many information from uh, the simulators and... Uh, living in a team, it makes a, a big difference. But uh, for me, it was uh, my uh, first year in Formula One. Then I moved to Ferrari. 
my teammate was a four times world champion. Uh, very open, you know, because uh, I was expecting maybe to hide the the, 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 the the setup or, you know, at the time we were able to make uh, not two teams, but in one, but to hide a little bit the things. And Alain have be, has been always, always very open and he helped me a lot. But unfortunately this year, the car was very bad. And when I say very bad is because the previous year they almost win the championship. This year we didn't win one races. Plus, Alain was fired be before the end of the, the season. So that was a dramatic situation for me. He called it a truck or a tractor, didn't he? It was a bit strange because it, he said um, to the press, you just need to have uh, arms like a trucker. And they was changed, but it was the end, you know, the, the, it was a pity actually. But that car was quite a lot better than the 92 car, yeah? 92 car, you know, it was all the time um, a kind of um, um, changing everything. Like like in the football, you know, you change the trainer every six games, so you cannot make it uh, right. Um, so Niki Lauda uh, was uh, chosen by... Uh, by um, uh, Montezemolo and he had uh, the free, uh, the, the 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 freedom to to make a team, and this is what he did. They start to uh, to build a team, and um, until '93, when they uh, they uh, engage 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 Jean Todd, and Jean Todd uh, gave a chance to uh, uh, John Barnard to work also with Michael Schumacher. But he understood the technical uh, uh, office has to be in Maranello, not in uh, Guildford. So they um, they rebuild again all the systems. So every year something was changing and changing and changing. So we had no continuity on uh, on what we were doing. What kind of an impact, though, uh, in terms of the relationship with the drivers, did Todd have? To the driver, Jean Todd was uh, uh, listening every single uh, complaint, uh, any single wishes. He was extremely close to the drivers, but also to the to the engineers. I think is the the person I made in uh, motorsport who gave the most uh, trust on each sector. Obviously, you need to do the job then. Burger comes along. <laughs> Gerhard, lovely Gerhard. <laughs> um, he came from uh, McLaren, where he was famous for his practical jokes with Senna and things like that. How did you find Gerhard? At the beginning, I was not very happy when he arrived, and I said that to... Uh... What was your issue? Hmm? What, what was your issue with him coming to the team? Because uh, uh, I found out by the press, as usual, uh, Gazette dello Sport, who one week before explained all the detail of the contract. So I read he was a first driver, testing, um, priority, uh, new parts. So when I read that, I call, um, I call uh, Nikki and I say, Nikki, do you think is it um, fair what you are doing? Because 
I'm say I'm doing my, my I give my life to uh, to uh, Ferrari, and uh, because now you restructure everything on a better way, you bring another driver from outside and you make him as a first driver. That I don't like. And said and he, <laughs> that was fantastic. I remember I was I was in uh, testing in uh, uh, Portugal when I had the call. Uh, with him and uh, Nikki said uh, okay what do you want more money I said Nikki fuck you I don't need more money I, I have a passion I love my what I'm doing I need um, to be like him I don't need anything else and he said okay okay let me do something then Montezemolo called me I said, Jean, don't worry. Uh, we have to put it like that but uh, you will have the same uh, I will be not uh, different and he, and it was true but he said okay I have a gift for you and he uh, offered me the Ferrari de F92 I have at home still now the the, the, the car so I like Gerhard because <laughs> of the car and actually um, from day one we did five years together three in Ferrari and two in uh, in uh, Benetton and um I had a fantastic time with him as a uh, teammate, even if um, I had um, sometimes to uh, to fight in uh, on a political way. He was very, very good, you know. And uh, sometimes I was uh, found uh, discovering a situation I was not expecting. But uh, how interesting, Jean, because. People's perceptions of Gerhard are that he was a happy-go-lucky, fun guy. No, but no, he no, was no, no, no. Yeah. No, very clever guy. Uh, okay, happy life, everything. Um, sex maniac. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, extremely professional. Huh? <laughs> now, is it true that you arrived at a test somewhere upside down in a hire car? Yes. But, <laughs> that was um, 80% my fault and uh, <laughs> the rest is fault because I wanted to scare him. Uh, actually, we, we were in uh, Fiorano and he had uh, two tests day one. I was testing day, day two. So I was there in the office of uh, close to Jean Todd. And um, he opened the door. He saw me and said, oh, uh, come with me. I go to Fiorano. So I, I came out and when we came, we, we, I, I was out with him on the, on the parking. He said, uh, bring me to Fiorano and say, where is your car? I, said, I don't have a car. So I knew Jean Todd always was leaving his, his car on the front with a key on. So I went in the car, start the car, and I start to, uh, to, uh, to drive very, very uh, aggressively to scare him. But the problem is every corner he was uh, holding the, the end brakes, you know, and uh, it was a Lancia Epsilon 10, I remember very well. And... Um, we start to make one corner, two corner, and then when we arrive on the front of the uh, the house of Enzo Ferrari, it's a sharp corner, so I brake, downshift. When I turn, it took the end brakes and the car did like that. Boom, on the roof. Your boss's car. <laughs> yeah. So um, the mechanics was fantastic. <laughs> they run to us. They hide the car with a special uh, tent. <laughs> and uh, I remember... Uh, Gerhard uh, run in the in the Formula One. He put his, his helmet, everything. And at this uh, moment, Jean Montezemolo and John Barnard arrived. 
but the car was already, you know, on um, cover with uh, a tail. And um, John Barnard said, uh, what is it, a prototype? Because the front roof was touching the steering wheel, you know, and the rear was like a V, you know. And uh, and nobody, the mechanics didn't reply. And they walked to the, the car and say hello to Gerhardt. I was hiding, you know, because I was bleeding a little bit from um, the top of my head. <laughs> and um, Gerhardt, the friend, said to Jean, um, Jean had an accident talking about me and said, where is, I don't know, he, maybe the, uh, he went to the hospital. So I said, oh, really, really? And they, they were all looking after me because Gerard said he had an accident. But then when he found out why and how, he was so upset with me. <laughs> but anyway. Jean, Jean was upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. He said, ah, how you can do something like that? But he didn't care about me. He cared about this car, you know? <laughs> Well, and I imagine there's a whole bunch of stories well, like that yeah, with Yeah, with yeah, yeah, we are lot. Yeah. Emila 94. Um, obviously, you're a Ferrari driver at the time, but you'd had that testing accident, hadn't you, at, at Mugello? So you weren't actually racing that weekend. Were you at Imola for, for the race? So I, I, I broke actually in um, Mugello my C4 and C5. So massive shunt. A massive shunt. I, re I remember to wake up in the hospital, actually, you know. So it was something uh, un incredible. And uh, thanks God, I was in one piece and I didn't have uh, problems for the rest. But I had to miss two races, Aida and uh, Imola. And um, on Friday, I was at the hospital with uh, Professor Sayan when, um, when uh, Barrichello had a massive shunt, you know. Uh, so everybody was already on the shock of this accident because I don't know if you remember the picture, but the car was really flying in the fan, in the fans, and uh, he had just uh, his arm broken. That's it, you know. Then on Saturday, I was in Toza, uh, uh, which is at the end of Tamburello. At the time, Tamburello was okay, this long corner, and then you have a Toza which is the place where all the Ferrari fans go. So because I was not racing, I wanted to be on the middle with them, you know. And I watched the qualifying there. And then Ratzenberger has this accident just on my feet, you know. And I remember the, the noise of the car into the wall. Then we, uh, we really understand he had a problem when he left the circuit. But it was still a moment, a time when nobody imagined you can die with a Formula One, you know? So when he died, uh, it was, of course, a big shock and big problem for, uh, for everyone. But I found a kind of, um, from the uh, media and the drivers, yeah, but you know, he drive for Simtech. Yeah, but the Simtech, but the Simtech, okay. When Ayrton died, I was on a pit wall with Jean Todd next to him. And uh, it was just after a restart. So we saw, we, we see the shunt, okay, we, we, uh, we saw the car passing and then after two laps, the shunt or one lap, I don't remember exactly. Um, so we were, so no. Ayrton was uh, one of the drivers where sometimes he was exaggerating the movement. No, no, if you remember in, in, um, um, 
Mexico, he had an accident in, in free practice or qualifying, and he was in a car for a long. No, no, not this one. Another one, and he was, he stayed in a car for a long time, and everybody was waiting, you know. And he, he, we took it as, as a, a dramatic accident, but but not as dramatic because two years before, um, Gerhard had with a Ferrari went in the wall there. And the car explodes. And I don't know if you remember, in two pieces with fire, everything. And Gerhard went out of the car uh, with uh, some uh, bruise, and, but he has nothing, you know. So we, we, we didn't realize straight away, uh, unless they uh, take out the, the helmet and we saw the blood and then we start to understand. And that was a nightmare. Nobody was living in a grandstand because... It was all of the time a link in between the the hospital to say uh, the condition of Ayrton, stable condition, we wait for the last one, we wait. And then when we heard about, uh, he passed away, and nobody left. Everybody was there. It was very, very, very special weekend. Did you... And shit weekend. Did you ever question whether you wanted to continue racing? No, no, no. No, but um, many times we try to have a re- uh, meetings to, to, with a driver, you know. We never end up with more than three, four drivers talking to the, together. Then we had Monaco and we had a meeting all together. Uh, and we really tried to say, all of, it, all of us, something to improve, especially the circuit. Because at the time, Max Mosley was uh, reacting uh, s- straight away without think- uh, thinking about uh, uh, the engineer will like that or not. He put the plank on the car immediately. Then uh, they start to cut the engine cover for the, the, the power of the engine. He made immediately, he reacted on that. And Charlie, plus uh, the, the drivers, we start to have a, uh, a talk together. Then when we arrive here in, in Barcelona, we move uh, the chicane. We, I mean, in Monza, we race with a, with a tire in the chicane. We try to, to avoid as much as possible another drama. You know? Let's talk about something um, more positive in terms of your career now. And you mentioned Monza there. What was it like to get your first pole position at Monza in front of the Tifosi as a Ferrari driver. Now that was uh, I remember corner by corner because um, uh, we had uh, the power but um, I had the confidence on this track because with a low down force and my characteristic anyway was uh, the braking. So the braking, low down force, uh, light rear, I was able to drive the car uh, without any problem and uh, um, Every single corner uh, facing the grand sound, you see the movement of the flags, you understand you are going up, up, up. And when I passed the finish line to, to be on pole was uh, unbelievable. Do you, do you believe in the power of the crowd to lift your own performance? 100%. That's why I understand uh, um, football when they say, okay, we play home. The, 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 the field is the same. But... Uh, the crown is everything. And uh, when you you drive or when you do your sport, uh, having this link with the public, you can make more. 
what do you reckon it was worth? Can we put a mm-hmm. how many how many tenths was it worth? Do I don't know if you can uh, may, may, maybe you can be even slower because you exaggerate, but uh, uh, not really. You know you uh, you take the risk and uh, you know in um, in uh, Monza the layout of the track is uh, like now but we're the grass <laughs> mm. so the risk you had to take was different because uh, it was never ever in a briefing a driving briefing i heard about uh, track limit <laughs> because track limit for was the wall you know and uh, poor charlie but when i was talking with him recently about the track limit say charlie you remember our time no track limit problem never ever use grass 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 so okay i'm i'm and i uh, grew up with the safety and i'm very pleased to have this kind of safety now on the formula one but it's a little bit going on the other side you know because you can put some grass plus the run off area like they are now which is uh, fantastic but a little grass to just uh, to be penalized if you exaggerate. Yeah. So the risk you take uh, with a fan, you can do it more. Now, did you feel that up, uplift more at Monza or Manicourt? Oh, Monza, Monza. Manicourt, you know, I, um, I had always uh, the fan there, uh, close, uh, sharing with me. But the public... Uh, when you drive for Ferrari, you drive for the Italy. When you drive in um, in France, they just take. A, they are happy because you are French. But uh, you know, uh, in France, we say uh, le roi est mort, vive le roi. If it's you, it's nice. If uh, you die, then there is another one. It's nice also. You know, there is no Ferrari. They have the link and the passion for what you are, and I, that I like. But with your Sicilian roots, mum and dad Sicilian, it is a little bit of you. Sicilian as well, or you, do you see yourself as French? No, I, uh, uh, I have, uh, I grew up uh, in my my family. We always uh, had the Sicilian uh, education because uh, of uh, my grandfather and grandmother always with us in a house, uh, not talking French. We we had to live like uh, Sicilian, but in France. But I I. Uh, I like very much to have uh, the mix of the culture because uh, French, anyway, uh, um, give you, uh, when you're from Sicily, a, a, a good mix. And do you still live your life like that now with your own children? Do you, a bit of how much Italian is spoken in the Alessi household now? <laughs> no, we don't speak uh, Italian. Uh, the, the mother of my kids are Japanese. But... Um, do the kids speak Japanese? Yeah, yeah, of course, yes. But they uh, um, they know our story. They know what my father did to uh, to reach um, his, uh, let's say, uh, to grow up his family, going out of a country. is not easy, you know. Mm. Now, what about Canada 95? You, you mentioned earlier about the victory. And prior to that race... Was there a little bit of you that was questioning whether it would ever happen? Definitely, is um, is not one of my favorite uh, uh, moments of my racing career because I was so stressed not to finish the race. 
because so many times I had to stop leading the race, having the race uh, in a pocket, I will say, and something was happening. So when I start to lead, and uh, I think it was maybe uh, 15 uh, or 20 uh, laps to go, that was the worst 25 laps I did in my life, you know, because uh, always talking to my engineer, and at the time we were not talking like that, talking now, now they talk uh, all the time. In our time, when we talk, it's because we had a problem. And uh, I was always asking, fuel okay, uh, engine okay, fuel okay, engine okay. I, I just wanted to finally go home with a victory, you know, and they happen, I'm very happy about that. Can you remember the emotions now? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, people think, for example, I I finished the fuel in the in-lap, you know, but I didn't. I was so happy I went out of the car to say hello to the fan, but then when I jumped down in a, in a car, I stole the engine because I was in uh, in eight, seven gears. And Mike, did Michael pick you up? Yeah, Michael stopped and uh, picked me up uh, and we come back to the pits together. It was fantastic. So much emotion. Uh, and and great, I, great. Michael was so pleased for you as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's true, it's true. And, you know, um, uh, sometimes um, I, I, I was not shy of the victory because I gave so many times my, my position because of uh, uh, burying gearbox or whatever. Something was happening on my car. So I, and then I have to, uh, to, to drop my first position. So, this time, Michael had a, a, a electric engine a problem on uh, on the steering wheel. Uh, I didn't care. I was happy. <laughs> I said, "I'm happy. You had a problem." Yeah. Now look, we've talked about Prost. We've talked about Senna. Just a few words on Michael Schumacher. Where do you hold him in your esteem? So you, he he's um, he went to the place where I walk, and I went to the place where he walk. Of so, course. So he went to Ferrari. You went to Benetton. Of exactly. Course, yeah. So we. Um, uh, he has no mystery for me to know how we walk. Uh, we d- he didn't. He just uh, uh, for me it was a, um, a mystery how sometimes there are some drivers where they are able to give uh, to to make it true what they say. You know, many times in the team, uh, you you uh, here in Barcelona, you make ten laps. Then you come in and you say to the to to, to your engineer, I would like to have a better rear end because um, uh, I lose a rear. Or some drivers, when they say that to the engineers, for sure it's like that. They work for that, and some other not. And Michael was the typical dri- uh, driver where whatever he was saying, the team was following his uh, his words, and that make him. Uh, a huge champion because of the trust he gave to the team and the teamwork with him and he was very hard worker very hard worker and fantastically quick yeah of course, of course. He, he, yeah. Of course yes that, that nobody yeah. can say uh, with uh, the numbers of victory at yeah. the, poly, uh, the pole positions uh, for sure he was uh, special but um with Senna, I was, uh, I don't know how to say, but uh, Senna impressed me more. In what way? Uh, speed, speed-wise. Was uh, Senna the fastest driver you ever raced in Formula 1? For, for, with me, yes. 
with me, yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, don't uh, underestimated about the car we drove at the time uh, with the qualifying tires mm. uh, for one shot, massive grip, uh, 550 uh, kilo. The car was uh, very, very, and no power steering. He, he, he impressed me many times, many times. Men were men, John. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, Schumacher was a guy that, did you hang out with him a bit away from the track yeah, yeah, as well? Yeah, so yeah. would you say he was one of the few drivers who became a friend? Yes. Him. Rivals and, who became a friend. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, my, my friends in Formula One, Alan Prost, um, Michael, and uh, of course, Gerhardt. That's really my, my three solid uh, person I had uh, in, uh, in Formula One. Uh, Nelson, I cannot say more than, uh, than these three, three, because with these three drivers, I race a lot. With um, uh, Nelson, unfortunately, he left uh, too early with me. Was the public face of Michael Schumacher very different to the private face? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, private face, uh, a family man. Um, sometimes uh, a little bit too much for for the training so I was saying to him please give up a bit stay with me we uh, we have a, 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 a free time you know but he was always pushing for bicycle for uh, football but he he was a I mean he is a great guy have attempted to join him on one of his rides or no? No, the ride no, because I'm scared of the horses. So uh, oh, no, I, meant, I meant bicycle, but you're scared uh, of yeah, rides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Michael was into his horses and Corinna, yeah, yeah, his yeah. wife. Yeah, big... yeah. And uh, actually, I saw once uh, with the horse, it was very good on huh, doing uh, the exercise. Yeah. So you're living in Avignon now, yep. uh, where you've lived all your life. Um, tell me about the passion for wine. That um, is a bit, um, uh, not a passion, but I was looking for a house in, uh, in Avignon when I left because uh, I, I live in, uh, in uh, Geneva for different, uh, um, uh, for, for di different reasons. Different reason, voilà. So I'm in Geneva and I said to my father, Papa, if one day we hear about uh, property, I would like to buy for my retirement. When I retire, I will be there. And uh, we look, and then we found this house with uh, the vineyard on the front. We have the olive oil. We have uh, it's a little farm, you know. But I said, okay, but the wine, the driving doesn't link, so, but I cannot take everything away. Let's speak with the person who are doing the wine, and we see if uh, we can make a good product, and we don't say anything. We make a, the, the wine, and when, one day, maybe we will uh, see uh, if we can talk about the wine or not. And uh, I went mad about that because the way to make the wine is exactly the same way than driving a Formula One car. You have to take risk. The risk is not calculated <laughs> because you have a storm, all the, the, the things go finito. You have to make a decision of when you pick up. You have to make um, the, uh, there is a timing of uh, staying in uh, barrels or in uh, cement uh, uh, tank. Everything has to 
to be made on a correct time, you know. And then you have the expectation. You have to wait and see, like when you have a new car and you have to drive to see what it is, you know. And all these things, uh, without controlling, is what I love. Because you try to make it, but you cannot control everything, you know. And um, uh, just waiting the new uh, the new uh, uh, vintage and to try to say, okay, it's good, it's not good, it's bitter, why not? That is something I uh, I, I I went I, I get mad for mad for. Uh, and are you the guy calling the shots when to pick the grapes? No, How, no, no, no. I'm not just even. looking. Just okay. So you <laughs> just have looking. <laughs> just looking because it's such a tough, tough and uh, and uh, uh, job. And you need to be uh, to have a huge experience to make a good wine. When did you buy the property? What year? In '94. Oh, okay, so you've had it for. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, 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 a long time. Now, last three teams: Benetton, Sauber, Prost. Where were you happiest? Uh, and Jordan, actually, but that yeah. was only for a few races, yeah. wasn't it? You know, it's, the best for me was Ferrari. The, my life was really Ferrari. I had um, whatever was uh, the result. But uh, to live in this team, to live uh, a championship with them, uh, it's fantastic. That was uh, difficult to describe. Everything else that came after was... A different, you know, yeah. uh, professional, uh, less uh, technical support, good uh, management, but different. Ferrari, it's unique. It's unique. Good or bad, whatever is happening, uh, something is happening. You mentioned management there. You work with Flavio Brittori mm -hmm. in Benetton. Mm -hmm. How did you find him and how different was he to Jean Todd? <laughs> <laughs> to, make, to make it short, he was very different. <laughs> Where, where were the differences? I mean, Flavio everywhere. is a, a maverick, isn't he? Yeah. No, but everywhere. Uh, the understanding of uh, motorsport. Uh, 100 for one, zero for the other one. Jean Todd won. Paris-Dakar, Rally, Monte Carlo, F1 Championship, Le Mans. How you can... Uh, um, I mean how you can find someone like him comparable to uh, how comparison you ma can make him to uh, Flavio it's impossible Flavio was selling a t-shirt before to win Formula 1 what were Flavio's strengths? Um, it's a kind of uh, you know uh, when you play card he gambled a lot and uh, he had um it's strange to be uh, close to uh, Bernie. <laughs> Did you clash with him quite a lot? Do you feel that the, the, the Latin yeah, yeah, yeah. nature of yes, you and yes. him clash? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we clash a lot, actually, but uh, it was a good experience for me. And how was Alain Prost as a team boss? Was he... How did he compare as a team boss to a driver? He, he was not lucky to have a... Um, a financial uh, situation and a technical situation too complicated in one time. 
So my dream was actually to finish my career with him and to make uh, uh, a French team winning together. That was my dream. It didn't happen. It's a shame. What were the particular problems with the team, or was it just too extreme that the, the Peugeot didn't have enough yeah, power? That... And then the reliability, and uh, yeah. it was uh, too complicated. Okay, so you ended with Eddie Jordan, <laughs> that the was, man uh, who'd made it all happen in the first place. That was funny because um, uh, we had uh, a mutual uh, huge respect. He knew he had to wait a decision from Honda to have a, a Sato or not. So he said to me, if you want, you come. But I don't guarantee you the, uh, the drive for next year, and I will I will uh, be very pleased to have you. And they say, okay, I come to you. And how magical was it? You scored points at was it Spa? Yeah, I think. Spa, yeah. How spa, magical was that? The, the, the spa was a very good race, but um, uh, I was at the end of my career, and uh, I knew I had uh, not a good future, not a stable future. So it was not a magical moment for me because to leave Formula 1 was the worst day of my life when I have to say I stop what did you miss about it? it's my life you know a few few months ago uh, I had um, I had an opportunity to drive the Renault F1 in Paul Ricard but not uh, the latest one but the the, the car who uh, uh, Kimi won the cha- the, the race in uh, Abu Dhabi? Yeah, you know, so you know, 2013, I think, something like that. Yeah, and um, with uh, the, the Renault staff, fantastic car, uh, and I uh, I had four laps to do. Okay, you have to understand when you get old, you you have a, um, not the same head. You are full of. Uh, things to think during the night so when you go to bed around 4 o'clock you wake up and you cannot you, you don't know how to to come back and uh, uh, to sleep you know so when I drove the car for 4 laps for one full week I slept more than 8 9 hours a night just being uh, uh, thinking about these uh, laps about the uh, the corners, the power, the braking. It is um, something uh, you miss when you have uh, the passion of uh, driving a Formula 1 car, you know. And did all the magic come straight back? Immediately. Immediately. Magic, not physical. <laughs> so <laughs> Four laps was enough. <laughs> four laps was too much. <laughs> steering, steering wheel helped me a lot. Of course, but, the power steering. Now, yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, the head was starting to to go like uh, you know the left and right, and then I start to have a, a pain on my back. But it was uh, I didn't care. I I enjoy very much. And Jean, the good thing is you're able to sort of relive it all again now through Giuliano, your son. Um, how much are you enjoying being a racing dad? Are you a good racing dad? A calm racing dad? I live with him uh, by watching on TV and watching on uh, on track what he do. I would like to uh, to give uh, advice nonstop, but I don't. Uh, I'm just there and I uh, wait his comment f- to make him uh, understand 
something maybe he doesn't understand yet, but they have so much information, the young drivers now, with, okay, he's with the Ferrari uh, Academy, so they, there is engineers who are working after them. Uh, they go on simulator, they have the, the race uh, um, engineer and the team. So everybody is giving advice, advice, advice. I just can give him um, a feeling I had pre-championship, uh, pre-race, after race, going back to one bad race to a, another one. This kind of things we are talking together. Like, uh, you know, when I'm in Monza, I was leading and then uh, eight laps to go, I have to stop because I lost my rear wheels going back to uh, my house, then to wake up and to, to think about what I lost. And anyway, I have to make another lap, another race. And then you come back to the race and you forgot what you did. And this kind of things we talk, but I never talk about him, uh, cut the curve because YouTube, uh, onboard camera, uh, telemetry, simulator, they know how to cut a, or to cross a curve. Do you think, you are such a natural driver yourself, do you think um, the, the current guys coming through almost have too much information? 100%. None of it is, is intuitive it's, now. It's, it's all it's, taken from... It's just theory, house. theory, theory. And plus with Pirelli, you know, now you need to walk in a window. So you need to, you see, uh, they go out of the box to... Uh, warm lap, one push, one slow, one push, or oh, and it's finished. The weekend is over, then race. That's um, not uh, the best way to learn, especially nowadays. They want the driver, uh, 18 years old, already driving Formula One. He's too young. Uh, I start when I was 18, and when I start in Formula One, I was 24. I think 24 is a good age. You know, it's, you're not too old. And you are a bit more mature. You understand more things. You had already, already your uh, <laughs> hard, uh, heart broken by a girl, and uh, you are you are okay. But when your 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 heart is broken by a girl, and they are on the middle of a F2 championship, you threw in the in a garbage a one and a half million. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jean, it's been a wonderful chat. Thank you Thank so you. much. Just. What do you think your legacy is in Formula One? Now you know I um, I, I speak sometimes with the young the young ones and uh, uh, just to remember some uh, uh, some moment of my races. I uh, it makes me just happy. Which race in particular? I'm going to ask you that. Uh, is it Canada or are there other races that no, give you a better feel? Suzuka. Which if you one? look Suzuka '95. I didn't finish, but look the race. <laughs> yeah. You love Suzuki. What a wonderful circuit. Oh, yeah, the best. One of the best. Yeah. Well, Jean, thank you so thank much. You. Great to chat. Thank you. Well, I never. Nelson Piquet helping Jean with his first Ferrari contract. And what about those negotiations with Williams ahead of the 91 season? There were many little gems throughout that chat, not least the brilliant anecdote about carpooling with Gerhard Berger. What a duo they made. And let's spare a moment to think about what might have been. What would Jean have achieved had he driven for Williams for three seasons? How many races, even championships, 
90 of one in an FW14 or 15. Thank you for being so open and honest, John. It was great to catch up. Well, that's it for another week, but don't panic. We'll be back in just seven days with another superstar from the world of Formula One. And if you can't wait that long, there's always the back catalogue to work your way through. We're up to episode 38 now, so there's hours of F1 chat for your listening pleasure, including last week's guest, James Allison. Thanks for all your messages about the show with James. As many of you commented, he is a great interview and brilliant at his job. Yet the message I've pulled out this week isn't about the conversation with James specifically. It's about Beyond the Grid in general. Loving Beyond the Grid, wish we had it when I was a kid. It's highly insightful. I find it delightful. I hope you never get rid. Thank you, Drift Division. Very touching and brilliantly poetic. Are all our listeners as gifted with words? And like Drift Division, please keep your feedback coming. We love it. Use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid and you can tweet me at Tom Clarkson F1. But before we do that, make sure you subscribe to Beyond the Grid on your favorite podcast app. I really don't want you to miss out. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom. Until next time, keep it flat out.